0: Welcome. You're listening to Living Faith Podcast. In mine to lead me through the night. I'm gonna speak for a little while and I'm gonna invite us to pray again in conclusion. And I know that you will. I was in my early twenties, probably twenty-one. When I applied for a minister's license with the United Pentecostal Church International, as part of that application process, the ministerial overseer of my area, we refer to him as a presbyter, he met with me to discuss my application and, quite frankly, to evaluate me. Who are we signing on? to this ministerial credential. His name was David Katinya, Big old guy, loved to claim his Russian heritage, came from New York City and pastored in a town not far from me in Ohio. David Katinya said to me, something I've never forgotten, perhaps because I rely on it often. He said, Travis, in in order for things to come out right, you have to do the right things and do them the right way. He said, if you do the right thing in the wrong way, it'll come out wrong. If you do the wrong thing in the right way, it'll come out wrong. Of course if you do the wrong thing the wrong way it's bound to come out wrong right things happen when we do the right thing in the right way right things are there established guidelines and expectancies are all the parties aware of those things The right way, are we applying those guidelines equitably? Are parties held accountable to the guidelines? Can the guidelines be adjusted? And if so, how? The right thing done the right way. If we can do that, we call it justice. And if not, injustice. Today, I'll talk about our problem with justice, our resolution for justice, and our response to justice. Because of our individual understanding and experience and perception differ, not only in this room, but in any gathering of people. Because of that, people disagree, regarding justice. Our granddaughter, love her as we do, doesn't always agree with the healthy food options we present to her. Homeowners associations and homeowners don't always agree on what's right. As we're seeing played out with Starbucks, management and employees don't always agree. As we witness in Ukraine, leaders and governments don't always agree on rightness. We, we want we want justice when we're repeatedly passed over for promotion, when our resumes are ignored and overlooked. We want justice when invitations to desired events have not been received, when relationships end without explanation, we want justice. Justice is craved by the downtrodden and the deceived, the disadvantaged, the disenfranchised, the struggling, the undermined, the abused, the victimized, the betrayed, the scorned, the cheated. Humanity has tried to remedy this. It's tried by lawyers and courts and lawmakers and judges whom we actually refer to as justices. Systems and offices to define and facilitate justice, and yet society's worldwide struggle with justice. Hopefully, it's pursued on lofty ideals, but humanity often gets in the way. There are multiple reasons that individuals and groups thwart ideal justice. Humanity, in fact, has a a long history of distorting and ignoring justice. As far back as we'd like to look, We find warring counties and countries. We find violence. We find tragedy and displaced peoples. We discover wealthy nations and starving nations, those in bounty and those in desperation. Over time, we've even labeled them first world nations and third world nations. The haves and the have-nots. Humanity's basic problem with justice is determining what is just and agreeing on that. What is right? And then can we, will we keep everyone accountable to what is right? American understanding of justice is not 100% in line with countries around the world. This is not a just war. Well, that depends on who you ask. Opposing sides see things differently. There's no agreement on righteousness. Governments have different systems. One views the other as unjust, and yet each is likely to proclaim its own justice. Why do arguments and battles exist? Because we disagree on what is right. And if you look in Scripture, the Bible reflects the very same struggle. In response to Israel's error, Moses declares the word of the Lord, and he says in Deuteronomy 27, 19, Cursed is anyone who denies justice to foreigners, orphans, or widows. It's not just countries or peoples that are unjust. Job saw himself as mistreated in Job 19. And I'll only read a part of it because he whines on and on. My relatives stay far away. My friends have turned against me. My family is gone. My close friends have forgotten me. My servants and maids consider me a stranger. I'm like a foreigner to them. When I call my servant, he doesn't come. I have to plead with him. My breath is repulsive to my wife. I am rejected by my own family. Many times, you read the Psalms, the psalmist pleads for the Lord's justice while he's facing life's situations. Solomon offers this in Proverbs 28. Evil people don't understand justice. But those who follow the Lord understand completely. Through the Lord's prophets, them: Ezekiel, Amos, Micah, Habakkuk, Malachi, he repeats judgments due to the people's perverted or non existence justice. You find in those prophets words similars to these in Isaiah chapter 1. He's, he's talking to people who are supposedly God followers. And he says, when you lift up your hands in prayer, I will not look. And though you offer many prayers, I will not listen. Your hands are covered with the blood of innocent victims. Wash yourselves, be clean, get your sins out of my sight, give up your evil ways, learn to do good, seek justice, help the oppressed, defend the cause of orphans, fight for the rights of widows move onward into the New Testament and you find in Jesus' earthly ministry, one of his chief accusations against the Pharisees is that they ignored justice. They they were not equitable to people. Scour human history. People, you and I, we are not very good at being just. So how can this ideal become real? Can we discover and enjoy and practice genuine justice? I offer to you in Isaiah chapter 9 and verse number 1. The scripture says this. Nevertheless, that time of darkness and despair will not go on forever. The land of Zebulun and Naphtali will be humbled, but there will be a time in the future when Galilee of the Gentiles which lies along the road that runs between the Jordan and the sea, will be filled with glory. The people who walk in darkness will see a great light. For those who live in a land of deep darkness, a light will shine. You will enlarge the nation of Israel. Its people will rejoice. They will rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest and like warriors dividing the plunder. You will break the yoke of their slavery and lift the heavy burden from their shoulders you will break the oppressor's rod just as you did when you destroyed the army of Midian, the boots of the warrior, the uniforms bloodstained by war. will all be burned. There'll be fuel for the fire. That season is over. Why? For a child is born to us. A son is given. The government will rest on his shoulders. He will be called Wonderful Counselor. Mighty God, everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. As exciting as that is, it's verse 7 that grasps my attention today. His government and its peace will never end. He will rule with fairness and justice from the throne of his ancestor David for all eternity. The passionate commitment of the Lord of Heaven's armies will make this happen. Can I bring to us today, can the listeners hear and know today, Wow. Humanity proves faulty in its practice of justice. God in his uh, glory has come to this earth and embodied a man and, and brought divine justice to humankind. He is brought and opened and offered and it is designed to expand and develop and God will not give up on perfect, righteous, holy justice. The scripture says it will go through all eternity and by his passion he will pursue it to make it happen. In Jesus The ideal became real. Jesus is righteous. There's comfort knowing he's righteous. There is no aspect of human life unknown to our great creator. Not just because he created humanity, but by his experience. Our great creator came to this world. We celebrate that here in a few days. Born in a manger, lived on this planet, proved in his life his rightness. Can I offer to us today, there's none better suited to determine best practices for all of humanity than the creator of humanity who dwelt with humanity. We might ask what produces human fulfillment? The creator knows without question what brings humanity joy. Jesus knows that answer. What supplies health and strength? Jesus knows. What will bless our relationships, our families, our homes? The Creator knows. Hear me today. He knows the right things. And for all languages and all ethnicities and all cultures, Jesus knows. He is righteous. His rightness emanates from him. He has no ability to be wrong. We're further comforted and encouraged knowing that Jesus is not only right, he's perfect. He's completely holy. He's completely pure. There's no fault in his attitude. There's no error in his perception. There's no uh, uh, unsurety in his demeanor, in his understanding, in his approach. And that extends then to his application and presentation of justice. Jesus is not just right. He not only knows the right things, but he is the right way. He knows the right way to bring justice in every life. He's not somebody who knows what's right, but is crude in delivery. He's not somebody who understands what needs to happen, but is obnoxious in his confrontation. No! Jesus is absolutely perfect and when he approaches you and I if it's a time that I need to be confronted he'll confront but if it's a time that I need to be comforted he will comfort he knows exactly he never misses he knows the right things he knows the right way justice emanates from him I want us to know in Jesus, justice never fails. One of Job's counselors, Bildad, in his rebuttal of Job's complaining, Bildad offers the rhetorical questions, Does God twist justice? Does the Almighty twist what is right? Rhetorical. He knows Job knows the answer. God is not able to twist. He's not able to mismanage. He's not able to... He, you don't just get his favor and he changes all the program for you and I. You don't give him bribes. You don't talk him over to the side. You don't sway him away from what is right. He doesn't twist justice in any way, shape, or form. In fact, that truth is so inherent in God Almighty that the Apostle Paul notes it in Galatians chapter 6 and he's provoking the Galatians to do what's right he says don't be misled you cannot mock the justice of God you will always harvest what you plant those who live only to satisfy their own sinful nature will harvest decay and death from that sinful nature But those who live to please the Spirit will harvest everlasting life from the Spirit. Where does that declaration come in the Apostle Paul? He's recognizing that the justice of our Savior is never failing. He doesn't mess up. He doesn't get it wrong. He doesn't have a miscalculation. He doesn't treat you differently than he treats you differently than he treats me. He doesn't play favorites. There is not that any working in the Lord all mighty. Rather, you can't mock the justice of God. When it's right, He stands by it. When it's wrong, He stands by it. And He treats all humankind the same. Our holy, pure Creator and Savior, justice is so integral to His character, so absolute it can't be thwarted. His justice never fails. And his divine justice never ends. We ought to always be encouraged by verse 7 in Isaiah 9. His government and its peace will never end. He will rule with fairness and justice from the throne of his ancestor David for all eternity. His fairness and His justice, His government, His peace will never end. Furthermore, He's not happy to sit back on His laurels and say, I've initiated a program, we'll just let them work it out. Oh no, no. He's engaged in what happens in His creation. For it says the passionate commitment of the Lord of heaven's armies will make this There is something about our divine and loving God that wants the best for every human being. And it's his intention to work on behalf of everyone. In him we can know and enjoy justice. in my first ministry assignment in Toledo, Ohio, there was a wonderful woman by the name of Jo Hensley. Now, Jo served the Lord in many capacities. And one of those was to keep the building clean. In fact, that property, well, I don't know how many square feet, but the auditorium sat 900. Comparable school and classrooms, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, gymnasium. She kept that place spick and span. Sister Joe's a, a country girl living in the city but country wisdom and idioms remained in her character. As I worked in our school ministries, that was my job. I was at the church every day of the week. She was there many as well. Oftentimes, I'd engage Sister Joe in some uplifting conversation. One day, I came in the main entrance, and Sister Joe's was right there, She caught me, Brother Miller. And I could tell that Sister Jo was upset. She was troubled. She had already been to the prayer room that morning and she began to tell me what she was praying about and what was happening. It seems her adult son and his family were facing trouble. Difficulty. Unjust trouble. Her son was being wronged in another state hundreds of miles away. What's a loving mom to do? After she poured out her concerns and her prayer requests, she ended with this. Brother Miller, I know the even scorekeeper And he keeps perfect score. I know the even scorekeeper. And he keeps perfect score. Some days later, I don't remember the amount of time, but Sister Jo again caught me in the lobby as I came in the main doors this time... (laughs) with a victory testimony of her son and his family, all was well now. And she declared to me with a big old country grin on her face, I told you, Pastor Miller, I know the even scorekeeper. (laughs) Do we... Do you and I know the even scorekeeper? Is our confidence in him? Is our trust in him? I offer you again a passage in Isaiah chapter 11. Out of the stump of David's family will grow a shoot. Yes, a new branch bearing fruit from the old root. And the Spirit of the Lord will rest on him. The Spirit of wisdom and understanding. The Spirit of counsel and might. The Spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. This is another messianic prophecy telling us about Jesus to come. He will delight in obeying the Lord, he will not judge by appearance, nor make a decision based on hearsay. He will give justice to the poor and make fair decisions for the exploited. The earth will shake at the force of His word and one breath from His mouth will destroy the wicked. He will wear righteousness like a belt and truth like an undergarment. And what happens when this divine justice prevails? Verse 6, in that day, the wolf and the lamb will live together. The leopard will lie down with the baby goat. The calf and the yearling will be safe with the lion. And a little child will lead them all. The cow will graze near the bear. The cub and the calf will lie down together. The lion will eat hay like a cow. The baby will play safely near the hole of a cobra. Yes, a little child will put his hand in a nest of deadly snakes without harm. Nothing will hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain. For as the waters fill the sea, so the earth will be filled with people Who know the Lord. In that day, the heir to David's throne will be a banner of salvation to all the world, and the nations will rally to him, and the land where he lives will be a glorious place. That that passage of the animals together and the children and the danger is often referred to or associated with the Lord's peace, but I, I want you to recognize peace isn't mentioned in that passage. I see the comparison as an aspect, as a proof of justice. It's a prophetic illustration that in the time of Christ, when His fullness is fulfilled, when His determination to expand justice around the world throughout His creation, when that happens, there'll be no more misuse of any advantage in any life among any creature. The strong will no longer disadvantage the weak. Fangs and claws will no longer overwhelm fur, feather, and hooves. Harm and destruction will be forever removed. And that's the picture when divine justice prevails. Matthew witnessed this going on when he saw Jesus healing all manner of people from all manner of disease and sickness. In Matthew 12, he writes, this prophecy of Isaiah was fulfilled. It's from chapter 42 concerning him, meaning Jesus. Look at my servant whom I have chosen. He's my beloved who pleases me. I'll put my spirit upon him. He will proclaim justice to the nations. He'll not fight or shout or raise his voice in public. Obviously, I have a few things to learn. He will not crush the weakest reed or put out a flickering candle. Finally, he will cause justice to be victorious and his name will be the hope of all the world. In Isaiah, the original passage, it says, he will not falter or lose heart until justice prevails throughout the earth. Can I just preach today about the coming of Jesus Christ, about the birth of a baby and the celebration of what started in that birth and what we're looking for when what started there culminates in His return. Now, hear me today, divine justice Wins. Each and every person gets the same opportunity and the same responses and the same judgment and the same benefits. Jesus Christ was born to even all the scores for all of humanity. He'll bring justice. He's going to fulfill divine justice. In Jesus, the ideal became real. And so, my final passage before we pray. Later in Isaiah's prophecy, in Isaiah 42, we find this. Sing a new song to the Lord. Sing his praises from the ends of the earth. Sing, all you who sail the seas, all you who live in distant coastlands, sing a new song. To the Lord, a new song. Should we be agents of human justice in our world? Absolutely. We have to know that in its very nature, human justice falls short. Our hope cannot exist solely in human justice. We've got to have a new song. A song to the Lord. We're welcome to know his perfect, never failing, never ending justice. Through Jesus Christ and his eternal kingdom, we have an opportunity, an invitation. And so in verse 11, the the psalmist goes on, rather the prophet goes on to say, join in the chorus, he said, sing a new song, change your tune, change your allegiance, change what you're trusting in and took it on unto the Lord. He goes on to say, join in the chorus, <laughs> you desert towns, let the villages rejoice. Let the people of Silas sing for joy. Shout praises from the mountaintops. Let the whole world glorify the Lord. Let it sing His praise. What's the prophet saying? He's saying, receive the invitation of the Almighty. Will you accept what He is calling us into? Will you will you recognize as believers have for centuries, Jesus is the just one. He, he embodies all that justice should be and expect justice to be served. In Christ Jesus, we have the even scorekeeper, the even scorekeeper as you stand with me this afternoon in this auditorium. If you're watching online, if you will hang with us and perhaps bow your heads or think about what God would do in your life even as you listen driving or watching at home. First question is this, do you know him? Do you have that same conviction of Sister Joe? I know. The even scorekeeper. My faith, my trust, my confidence is in that one. If you don't know the even scorekeeper, right now is a great opportunity to talk to the Lord, introduce yourself. He already knows you, but introduce yourself. Open your mind and your spirit to what the Lord would do in your life. If that's the way you feel and you want to pray in that dimension, I'm going to invite you to come to the front here in just a moment. But I'm also inviting any and all who, in some dimension, in some circumstance, you feel let down, disregarded disenfranchised whatever your word is that describes treated unjustly so many stories so many people my parents this my family that my education this my co-worker that my boss this my employees that come on we could go on and on and on the bank did this the mortgage company did this blah 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 I'm not belittling the harm, but I'm recognizing all of those things. There is comfort and trust in the even scorekeeper. Our musicians are coming, but I'm going to invite you right now all across this auditorium to begin to pray. You've been listening to the Living Faith Everett podcast series. Tune in next week for the next part of this series, or join us online at livingfaithministries.church. ghost you give me peace